Suffering seems to be around all of us at all times, and I think we, we know that. Between COVID that we've experienced, between uh, the Ukraine-Russia fiasco, the rampant school shootings that are on the news each and every day, uh, the numerous natural disasters, I, I think we all get that suffering is a reality. It's happening. It's not an illusion. For instance, consider that thousands die from traffic accidents and, and cancer each and every hour. That's, that's thousands each and every hour. And then there are additionally hundreds of thousands of people who learn that their loved one passed away each and every single day. In the wake of COVID and the Russia-Ukraine war, these numbers have gone up dramatically. That was a study just done in 2017. But there is the equivalent, really, of a small city virtually being wiped out every single day. And it's leaving behind devastated people who are hurting deeply in unimaginable ways as they are crushed by grief and, and shock as they just lose loved ones without knowing why sometimes. The truth is, I think that there is so much suffering and evil in the world that sometimes I think we can become callous to it, we can become immune to it, and then we, we wrongly excuse it with, with our defense mechanisms that we have within ourselves. So sometimes I think we've all been guilty of this. We, we hear of a tragedy, and then we discount it as if, you know, that happens only to other people. That's never happened to my family. Or, or that only happens to people who don't take precautions, right? If they were just more cautious, that wouldn't have happened to them. Or that only happens to people in, you know, poor third world countries that are far removed. Or, or this will never happen to me so long as we put the right elected officials into office so that they make sure that kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. But this type of, of thinking, I think, doesn't take suffering seriously. It doesn't take life seriously. Because death, pain, and suffering is irreducibly unpredictable and un avoidable. And I think this is clearly portrayed by the New York Times Magazine and the story of the Beltway Sniper. Does, is anyone familiar here with that, the Beltway Sniper? Some of you are, some of you are not. But there was a reporter here, he was shooting just random people in Washington, D.C. with no discernible person. He was just shooting randomly killing people without concern for race or age. And on this story, well, we have a uh, quote here. Uh, Matthew, you can hit the next button for me. On this story, Anne Patchett wrote, we are always looking to make sense out of murder in order to keep it safely at bay. I do not fit the description. I do not live in that town. I would have never gone to that place, known that person. But what happens when there is no description, no place, nobody? Where do we go to find peace of mind. The fact is, staving off our own death is one of our favorite national pastimes. Whether it's exercise, checking our cholesterol, or having a mammogram, we are always hedging against mortality. Find out, oh, excuse me, this is, this is technology, I should have printed this off. Uh, find out what the profile is and identify the ways in which you do not fit it. But a sniper taking a single clean shot, not into a crowd, but through the sight, reminds us horribly of death itself. Despite our best intentions, 
it is still, for the most part, random, and it is absolutely coming. So this is what a person wrote on the Beltway Sniper, and it reminds us, really, of death itself. It, it's random, and it's coming to us. It hits us in the face, and it's unavoidable. So these few examples, I think, expose how we, in society, largely seek to deny the panic. We, we want to stick our heads in the sand until suffering gets us. But the goal of this class is to do what many don't do in our society, and that is to take life seriously, to take suffering, pain, and death seriously. So the reality is there are only two types of people here this morning, those who have experienced suffering and those who will experience suffering. And we will all, at one point or another, face suffering in our life. We'll be in these categories. So whether it's the loss of a loved one, debilitating and fatal illness, personal betrayal, financial calamity, or moral failures, some, if not all, of these types of suffering will come on a person. And not one of us here is immune to it. So because of this, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well you have put together your life within a bubble, no matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful, something is going to inevitably ruin it. For there's no amount of money, power, or planning that can prevent sudden death, illness, relational betrayal, financial disaster, or a number of other troubles that will enter your life. And this is because human life is fragile. It's incredibly fragile. And it's subject to forces beyond our control. And so as a result of this, we need resources beyond our own resources to handle it well. We need support if we are going to resist falling into despair when we encounter suffering. And the support here needs to be spiritual. It needs to come from God himself. So my desire then in this class, as we begin to look at suffering broadly, is that we would be equipped well to face suffering. That we would be equipped well to face suffering, and not only that we would face it well, but that we could help one another, even in this room, to face it well together as believers. Give that to you, so we can see if we can make that thing work eventually. Now there is a, oh, you got it? Okay, there we go. You just, did you just push the button? All right, there you go. I, I got to have you just touch this before I come up here. And then it's just like magic. I love it. Yeah, all right. So there is a dilemma here. Part of teaching a class on suffering is that there are several different ways that you can approach this topic. Um, as I read several different books on it, continue to read uh, they often approach, and they being the books, often approach suffering in, in one of two different ways. And, and you can approach it, one, in a technical way. You can approach suffering in this very technical, philosophical way. And this is helpful, and it's necessary to gain a fuller picture of suffering, but it is not always helpful to people who are undergoing suffering right now, who are immediately in the midst of it. In fact, Approaching it in a technical, philosophical way to a person who is suffering now 
could actually be more damaging than helpful. So while it is helpful in helping us gain a better, bigger approach to suffering, a, a wider view, it is not helpful to those who are in the midst of it, and it lacks empathy for those who are suffering. The second way of approaching suffering is in the devotional sense. It is less technical in nature. There's a lot of books geared this way, and it's geared towards those who are in it right now. It's meant to help them survive the evils they're experiencing each and every day. But while these books are really helpful in doing that, they often are less technical and they don't answer the bigger questions that many of us have. So even as we look at suffering, as I teach this class, we can approach it in one of these two ways. And, and as I'm drawing mainly from Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he kind of recognizes this dilemma at the outset. Like, you have two people who are in here, right? Those who are suffering, looking for answers right here, right now, and those who are really looking for a framework, a bigger picture. And I'm not sure what category you fall in here this morning, but just know that as we go through these Bible classes, you might be looking for one or the other uh, because we have different audience here, different people with different situations. But our goal is to try to do both. And we're not going to do both effectively, but we're going to have different aspects of it in our Bible class. Um, because to address both types of sufferers isn't easy. It's, it's hard. So just know that no matter if it's technical here or more devotional, I am not trying to be unsympathetic towards your situation, but I am trying to provide a larger framework. And I'm not trying to, you know, minimize what you may be going through here this morning. And so it's in this way we're hoping that as we go through this class, it'll help us, it'll equip us, uh, no matter what we're going through, to face suffering together. And any questions on that, on that dilemma? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your pains or your sufferings, all of them. But do you know I do care? And I want this class to be beneficial to all of us and then also those we know who are suffering. With this in mind, then, we go to our class outline for the next seven weeks. The first two weeks of this class will be a bit more technical in nature. I told you about that. It's going to be a little bit geared that way. And it's meant, again, to help us get a broad-scale understanding of suffering across the globe, along with how many people generally respond to suffering, um, along with different cultures. So these first two classes here this morning will give us a framework to understand it, and to help us really out of the wrong framework uh, that we find ourselves in each and every day. After these two weeks, we're going to move towards a more balanced approach with what the scriptures have to say about suffering, and we'll explore the tensions in scripture between the justice and injustice of suffering, uh, between God's sovereignty and his own suffering, and then we'll look at different doctrines to help us be sustained in the midst of suffering, along with some of the purposes and reasons. And then for the final three weeks of our class, we'll get more practical in nature. You know, how do we walk through suffering together? How do we survive in it and even thrive in the midst of suffering? So this is kind of where we're going in a nutshell for the next seven weeks, including today. Comprehending it broadly, understanding it biblically, and facing it practically. 
just want to reiterate this one more time. Most of my thoughts are drawn from Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. So anything that I say that's helpful, it's most likely from him. I'm not taking credit for that. And anything dumb I say, that's most likely me. So just, just know that. Just, I don't want to be accused of plagiarizing or worse because all of it I'm accrediting to him unless um, I say otherwise. Any, any questions or comments about where we're going before we move on? All right. As we continue then. Introducing suffering. As we begin to talk about suffering here this morning, please know that this is a complex topic to speak about. I think sometimes we can callously oversimplify suffering and then, and then give superficial answers uh, to deep and complex reasons for suffering beyond our understanding. And I think the story of Job, as we all know here this morning, warns us, warns us against thinking we know why a person is suffering. The reality is we are creatures of flesh, and we must remember we only see half of the picture. We only have half the equation. We don't see what God is doing on the other side, and we may never, ever see it on this side of life. As, as, as fleshly creatures, then, we have to approach suffering cautiously. We have to be slow and patient to give judgment on the purposes and reasons for our own suffering and the suffering for others, lest we get burned and condemned like Job's friends. They oversimplified his suffering into overly black and white terms. And then what happened? They paid the price for it at the end as they're condemned by God harshly. So understanding this then, we, we approach suffering, this topic, together with humility. We come before God humbly acknowledging that we do not have all the answers for suffering. Now this isn't to say we don't have any answers. We do as revealed by God's word, and we'll, we'll cover these in the weeks to come. But while we do have some answers, again, I want to say this clear, we do not have all the answers, and we need to acknowledge that up front. For we are not God, and so we don't pretend that we see what God is doing in the whole grand scheme of things. We're not God, so we don't act like God. We come humbly to this topic. So approaching suffering with humility, then, should breed patience, a, a slowness to speak on it when others are going through it. We don't give half-baked answers to what people are going through. We tread carefully, for there is no one-size-fits-all prescription for suffering. There is no one answer to all the different types of sufferings and sufferers out there. And we'll see this even as we consider then the varieties of suffering. Consider with me here for a moment the different type of sufferings out there. One man is suffering from drug addiction in prison because, you know, he attacks someone in a fit of rage. Another man's life changes drastically when he accidentally kills a seven-year-old who runs in front of his car while driving. A young woman with three children, is at home dying of a brain tumor. A family with a teenage child is devastated when their father commits suicide. And then finally, there are young parents who just gave birth to a severely impaired child. 
And the point is, while all of these people are suffering, their sufferings are vastly different. The shapes, the causes, the pains are widely divergent across the board. But thankfully, the Bible is very, very aware of all of these different categories of suffering, and it helps us to navigate it well. First, consider that there is suffering that we bring on ourselves. A couple people that might come to mind are Jonah. Jonah and maybe even David in parts of his life. Jonah, as we know, brought suffering upon himself as he intentionally fled God's commandment. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, I'm going the opposite way. As a result, God pursues him. And he suffers as a result of his sins against God. He nearly drowns to death and then nearly dies in this fish's stomach. And then he then again suffers in the desert as a, a cruel east wind comes against him. The suffering, we could say, was brought about by his rebellion. He brought it upon himself. And God, in his love and mercy, allowed him to face this self-inflicted pain to draw him back to himself. He didn't merely let him stay in his sin, but he allowed him to face the consequences of his sin so that he might turn again to the living God, even as the Ninevites did, and as the sailors did. Consider David, another person who went through great pain because of his sins, and his sin with Bathsheba, and then arranging for her husband to be killed. Uh, As a result, his newborn son dies. And David realized here that God was telling him to change, to repent of his ways or completely lose his kingship in life. Now, a word of clarification here. In both of these cases, it wasn't that God was necessarily punishing them, for we realize there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God is not exacting retribution from these believers because we realize that Jesus has taken our own penalty on the cross. But that being said, God has and often does appoint some aspect of the brokenness of the world, often caused by sin, to come into our lives to wake us up and turn us to him. And the severity of this is often dependent on our heart's need. So there is suffering caused by immoral behavior, by our own actions, that we bring upon ourselves. But then, there is suffering due to righteous behavior. This is quite different than the other. Suffering due to sins that we bring damage upon ourselves, and then there's suffering for actually doing the right thing. And these two types of suffering, very different. Consider Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul. Paul, as we know, suffered immensely. He was beaten, imprisoned, attacked by his own people, and as we know, the weeping prophet Jeremiah. I mean, that guy never got a break. He was put in stocks. He was thrown into a pit. The guy cried all the days of his life, and did he ever see Israel repent? He didn't. He suffered greatly for speaking the word of God faithfully. And so we need to be careful to delineate again between even just these two types of suffering. They're vastly different. Because while the first is a result of immoral actions, it requires the solution of repentance. But the second kind of suffering here, that's not the same solution, right? You're suffering for righteousness sake, and someone comes that says, you just need to repent. 
you're doing something wrong. Like, no, that's, that's wrong. You're doing damage. You're not helping that person. And, you know, with Job's friends, we can go there a little bit. So the, the second remedy here for those who are suffering for righteousness will have more or less, they're going to have more issues of forgiving. Forgiving those who have inflicted pain upon them unjustly. They're going to struggle with bitterness, with an unforgiving spirit. Because the reality is, there are many who do suffer for righteousness' sake, and then the temptation is to be bitter towards those who are persecuting you wrongly. And so, in this type of suffering, there has to be more of an approach to guard against a vengeful spirit, for vengeance is the Lord's. And to not allow such experiences to turn one into a worse person, but a better one. Then, there is also the suffering of loss. While some suffering can overwhelm you with anger, with resentment, there is another type of suffering that can crush you with grief. Some have called this kind of suffering universal because it eventually comes to everyone, no matter how good you've been and no matter how bad you've been. It is a grief of loss in the face of mortality, disease, and death. And in the face of this kind of suffering, we really do see Jesus go out of his way to bring comfort to those who go through this kind of suffering. Specifically with Mary and Martha in John 11 that that I preached about a few weeks ago. We see Jesus bring comfort to those who suffer this kind of loss, the brother Lazarus. And so it's in this kind of suffering that everyone eventually will come to know. You will lose a loved one. We all face death. And in this category of loss, again, there is so many different variations. For it is one thing to face the death of your spouse after 50 years, but another to do so when young children are left behind. And again, it is quite one thing to face your own imminent death from disease when you are 80 years old, and another to face it when you are 30. And it is, again, a different type of grief to lose a relative that you had a good relationship with, and then to lose another relative when there were unresolved issues that you never reconciled on. So there is suffering of loss, which is different from self-inflicted suffering or suffering for righteousness' sake. And this brings us finally then to the suffering of mystery. And this is kind of a suffering that doesn't have um, any kind of one category. It's mysterious. It's uncalled for. And often it is horrendous. Some people call this type of suffering really senseless. Keller notes, however, that it can be argued that it is exactly this kind of suffering that the Bible pays special attention to, the suffering of mystery when we don't understand. For instance, in Psalm 44, we find that the sons of Korah look at their ruined country, Israel, and they say, all this has happened to us, but we have not forgotten you or betrayed your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our steps have not strayed from your path. But you have crushed us in a haunt of jackals, and you have covered us with deepest darkness. Why do you hide and forget our affliction 
and oppression. This cry is all over the Psalms. If you read them, this is the type of cry you hear from God's people over and over again. And they don't understand why they are going through this mysterious suffering. And we, of course, already referenced Job, who is like the prime person for this type of suffering. And while other kinds of suffering may have causes that are, you know, more easily identifiable, such as, you know, moral failure, persecution, betrayal, the inevitability of death, this one doesn't have a cause that is easily identifiable at all. And that makes it all the more difficult. Job-like sufferings are extraordinary. And even as we consider his life, we remember that all his children were killed at once. All his wealth wiped out in an instance. His health was stripped away from him, and none of this happened due to sin. So as we know, Job begins to search for the cause of his suffering. God, why are you allowing me to to go through this? Why are you allowing such immense pain into my life? What is the purpose of it? And the reality is, there wasn't just one thing God was after in his life. Job had looked in vain for a specific lesson, but the lesson was really about his need to base his life fully and completely on God for who he is and nothing else. That's all he wanted from Job. And after a long journey from beginning to the end of that book, he finally sees this as he encounters God himself on his face. And so when we encounter Job-like suffering, it often requires the process of honest prayer, honest crying out to God. It takes the hard work of deliberately trusting God in the midst of unknown suffering. And it is exactly because of this type of suffering that we must tread carefully when trying to help others navigate it, or even our own selves, lest we become like Job's friends, who were incredibly callous in their call to Job, and then again rebuked by God strongly at the end. Now, this is just a few different categories of suffering. And I only wanted to present this to you this morning just to show that we sometimes just think of suffering as suffering, but there's lots of different kinds, and we don't fully grasp it as we should. And so I want us to slow down when we suffer, when others suffer, not to come up with quick, you know, off-the-cuff, trite answers, but to think about it seriously and what a person's going through, and, and to, to think critically so if we're going to be any help at all to others in a meaningful way. So, we see these four different categories. We realize that depending on the suffering you're going through, it requires a different kind of solution. But we're about to complicate matters even further, okay? That's not it. There's not only different kinds of sufferings. There's different kind of sufferers, all right? So it's not that we only understand the type of suffering a person's going through. We need to understand the person themselves or himself or herself. Because the way individuals face suffering, it's going to look different. They're going to face it differently than perhaps I will or you will. It varies. So the way that we encourage individuals to persevere in suffering is going to look different from person to person. 
So again, I want to say this one more time. It's not enough to identify the type of suffering they're going through, but you need to be aware of the type of person you're seeking to help, including yourself. And so if we all stop for a moment to think about this, I think intrinsically you're, you're following with me. You're getting this. So while the cause of suffering may be the same, what may encourage that individual may be different based on their temperament, their personality, their background, and the truth that they need to a whole host of number of different things. So we must remember that just because we can identify the type of suffering, we don't know that person. We need to know what kind of person we're talking to. This has become increasingly obvious in, <laughs> in my marriage to my wife, Shannon, uh, like from the first year of marriage on. Uh, but what helps and encourages me, I try to you know, do for my wife, and, and I find out, oh, that's not helping her. That's actually doing more damage than good. And, and so what helps me when I'm feeling down or unmotivated has discouraged my wife incredibly. I'm like, why isn't this helping you? Like, this helps me so much. And, and, and so it, it just goes to show we're dealing with different types of people. And what helps her? I don't get it for the life of me. Sometimes like, how did that encourage you? Like, that's discouraging to me. So polar opposites, we need to know, but all of us, are different kinds of people, and we just need to be aware of that. We suffer differently. should be obvious. Sometimes it isn't. We face suffering differently. And so, we come to God's Word, and we do find massive encouragement, because God's Word recognizes not only the different types of sufferings, but sufferers. And as a result, God, in His infinite wisdom, has given us a book which contains multifaceted approaches to suffering, which makes it more than capable of helping all of us, all the different types of suffering we're going through, all the different types of sufferers out there, with the different sufferings they're experiencing. So as you come to the Bible, you don't come to it, and, and it gives you a single, you know, a template for all suffering, right? Here's a five-step approach to any suffering you're going through. Step one, step two. It doesn't do that right? We, we get that. Instead, what it does is it recognizes the complexities of sufferings out there. And so it gives us a vast array of the sufferings that happen to God's people and others, along with the different types of people going through it. And so we connect with the stories of these individuals. And in connecting with these individuals, we are helped to navigate our own sufferings together. So as we explore suffering more in the weeks to come, we have to recognize, again, I hope you're getting this, the complexities, the varieties of sufferings and sufferers so that we are more equipped to help others. Any questions or comments before we continue on here? That was a lot, maybe. If you don't have any questions, that's fine. I just need a break to drink coffee. It was a long day yesterday. Tim. I noticed that the, uh, the similarity between the suffering of loss and suffering of gain. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of the time when you lose someone or something that's precious to us, we're not going to like it or so that helps me to recognize mm-hmm. Right, right. 
yeah, we wonder, like, what category, it's, even as we go through, we're wondering, like, you know, what, why is this, why did I lose, what's going on? There's overlap between these categories in a large respect. And it's hard, we don't always know. We don't always know at the end of the day. We do our best to discern, we think through it carefully, um, but at the end of the day, sometimes we just don't know, right? Mary Jo? Spiritual attacks? Sure. Mm-hmm. We, we can say that because we see the other side in that story. In our own story, though, we don't know if it's always a result of that, um, but it could be. But again, I think it's mysterious on our end because we don't have that other side of what's going on. To d- discern if it's a spiritual attack is, I think, hard to discern, to quantify, and I think it, it fits under that category of mystery sometime. I'm not sure if it's a separate category altogether, because we're not always sure about that, I don't think. I have heard people try to quantify all their sufferings as a result of the devil, and that's it. And I don't think that's right either. But, yeah. Good. Anything else? All right, we have a bit more to go here. So we looked at the, the variety of sufferings, sufferers, and we'll now move on to the different responses to suffering broadly, okay? I'm overgeneralizing here. I'm stating that up front. But this is generally the two ways people respond to suffering across the board, both believers and unbelievers. The first way is rejection of God. As we come to suffering, people reject God. They are further antagonistic towards him. Many people will resist God and the message of the gospel due to the pain and their suffering they've been through or are going through. And if you haven't heard this already, you will. They will say, how could a good God, a just God, a loving God, allow such misery, pain, and death to happen to me or to those I love? Doubts in the person's mind will grow as they experience pain on earth. For many people, they, they may be indifferent or even apathetic towards the existence of God. But the moment tragedy strikes them, they suddenly go from indifference and apathy to outright anger and hostility towards God. Keller in the book tells of how a Hollywood actress was interviewed on, on, on TV. And then after her lover had suddenly died in an accident, You know, she had been for a long time living without thought or reference to God, but suddenly God is in her life. And she says, how could a loving God let this happen? That's like the first place she goes. And there was a sudden shift from indifference to outright anger as a result of the suffering she went through. And I'm sure you know of people in the same way, the same boat. So when a person encounters suffering, there can be a hardening of the heart and an outright rejection of God. 
But this is not the only response a person can have to suffering or pain. For many people respond in a second way to affliction and suffering. And this adversity that they experience actually moves them closer to God than away from God. And it brings about an acceptance of God. Suffering, instead of hardening a person against God, shakes them of their spiritual lethargy. It makes them realize that they are not self-sufficient, and it makes them realize that they need God. Suffering, in the words of C.S. Lewis, plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. And so while it might be an exaggeration to say that no one finds God unless suffering comes into their life, I don't think that statement is too far off. For when pain and suffering come into our life, it, it, it frees us to see the reality that we are not in control of our lives and that we've never been in control of our lives. It moves us from the delusion of our own self-sufficiency to really the all-sufficiency of Christ that we need. So adversity not only leads people to believe in God's existence, but it also pulls those who already believe into a deeper, fuller experience of God's love and his grace for them. One of the primary ways we move from abstract knowledge about God into making that knowledge real in our own life is through the furnace of affliction, the furnace of suffering. As C.S. Lewis famously puts it, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. So while we may understand many doctrinal truths in our minds, those truths seldom make their way into our hearts except through disappointment, failure, and loss. Keller makes note of this again in his book with one man who lost both his career and his family. And having undergone this suffering, he said to him, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need to get through. But you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So in response to suffering, it can make real what we believe abstractly about God. Or on the other hand, it can harden our hearts in unbelief by the God we're angered against. Suffering is a fiery furnace, and it can either refine us or destroy us. As the old saying goes, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And so the same traumatic experience can ruin one person or make another person stronger and happier. In the scriptures, we find that suffering then is really likened to a fiery furnace. In the scriptures, we find that this is a rich biblical metaphor used across the entirety of both the old and the new. Fire, as we know, is often an image we associate with what? Torment? Pain? Death? And the Bible calls trials and troubles that we go through, really, walking through fire in Isaiah 43. And, and again, a fiery ordeal in 1 Peter 4.12. 
but it is also likened to a fiery furnace in 1 Peter 6 and 7. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, so it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And suffering in this passage, along with many others, is likened to a forge. It's a furnace. Now, as we know, anything with intense heat has the power for great good or great harm. And it has to be used properly if it won't destroy us. Things put into a forge or furnace can be properly shaped, refined, purified, and even beautified. And really, this is the imagery we are given about suffering, about trials of life. And it's remarkable, because in this, suffering can actually be turned against evil. It can be turned against pain itself. It can undermine the destructive purposes of evil, and it can bring light and life out of darkness and death that once destroyed us. But the question is, how do we then cope with suffering today? How do we survive it? How do we make sure that we're not on the opposite end, right? Being hardened against God. One of the most vivid depictions of suffering in the Bible with this imagery comes from the book of Daniel. And what do we find in Daniel? We find a fiery furnace. And here it is that we find three faithful men of God suffering for righteousness' sake, And what happens? They're thrown into this fiery furnace. And the fires that are supposed to kill them are so hot, it even kills the guards who throw them in. But as we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't die. They don't die in that fiery furnace. And as we read, the shocked observers see not three, but four people in the furnace with them one of them appearing to be the Son of God. And so we find that the three men are not consumed by the fiery furnace they are placed in, but they survive because the Son of God is with them in the fire. And as Christians with the New Testament, we know that this is Jesus, the Son of God himself with them. He would be the one who would go and face the infinitely greater pains of death, and the cross. And it's in Jesus we see that God experiences the pains of the fires that we experience ourselves so that we might be saved and endure the fires that we go through. Jesus plunges himself into the fiery furnace so that when we find ourselves in the fires of suffering, we can turn to him. And we can know that we will not be consumed, for he is with us. And in that knowledge, we will know, we know that we will be turned into something great and beautiful, people for his glory. So in the weeks to come, as we face sufferings, no matter what we are going through, we can remember together that God did not leave us alone in our sufferings. He did something about it, and he's with us. And that's how we will survive it, is by him being with us. 
So we'll continue to explore suffering again in the weeks to come here. It's time, time is up here. And uh, next week, we'll look specifically at the different cultures of suffering. But for now, do we have any closing comments or questions before I pray for us? Feel free to talk to me afterwards. We have 15 minutes. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we are thankful that you did not leave us in the pains and sufferings that we face or the fires of this life, but you, Jesus, willingly came down from the throne above to face the fires for us and with us. And because you, Jesus, suffered in our place, you know the sufferings we're going through. You've experienced the fires of hell for us. And in this, we find great comfort that we are not left alone, but that because you are with us, we will survive the trials and afflictions of life. For you are good, you are gracious, and you will rescue us. So we ask that even as we encounter the fires of life, may we respond to them rightly as Christians. May we respond by fleeing to Christ, running to Christ, and find comfort in the one who suffered in our place, who died in our place, and was raised to save us. We ask, Lord, that as we suffer, as we know others who suffer, may we be equipped to love them. May we be slow to speak, quick to hear, and in this, Lord, may we be given words of wisdom, words of comfort to help others who are hurting desperately all around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.